Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. This is Eat and Drink with Ali Hassan and Marco Timpano. The podcast where back of house Ali and front of house Marco talk food and drink. Heads up. These two spent decades in restaurants, so some mature content and language is bound to come up. Get ready for Eat and Drink. Forks up. You're listening to Eat and Drink, and today is New Year's Eve. What Ali. a, what a, what a, I mean, it's always wonderful, New Year's Eve, but, but really, tomorrow is the exciting day. Tomorrow, the day yes. where we don't have to think about this year anymore. Of course we will, but the, this, this division between years has never been as exciting as it is. This oh, year, what a time. What a hotly anticipated new year. I feel like tomorrow is Armistice Day. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how it's pronounced, but I get what you're saying. That's, I what get I'm, what you're saying. that's how I'm pronouncing it. Listen, <laughs> I can b- barely pronounce four words, so I'm happy I got half of that out. <laughs> I hear you, buddy. Um, yeah, I hope uh, everyone... You're at home, you're doing this safe, you're you're safe and sound. Most important, I hope your health is in a good place and, and you're you're taking all the precautions to remain healthy. We have a finance minister in the province of Ontario where Mark and I uh, both Marco and I both live, uh, who was um pretending to be in Ontario, but was actually in a Caribbean island, uh, the exclusive island of St. Bart's. Uh so that guy's probably gonna get fired, and I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Well, I mean <laughs> If he, if he was half a half a half a man, half a human being, he would just resign because yes, you can't tell the nation, or in our case, the province, not to be traveling and going out and stay home, and then you go on a nice little jaunt to the Caribbean with your family. It's yeah. pretty vile, but yep. uh, you know what's not vile? Tell me, Ali? buddy. What? It's a celebration, <laughs> and I know it's been a garbage year for I would say all of us, but. Today's the day of, or this evening is the evening of celebration. And so however you can, try to figure out a way to celebrate, even if it's celebrating the fact that this garbage year is over. That's a big thing. That's a big reason to celebrate, I would say. Sure. So as we know, Ali, champagne rules on New Year's Eve. Mm, And it makes some of us throw up on New Year's Eve, but that's another story for another time, maybe five minutes from now. But yes, yeah, champagne is the play is is the is the go to absolutely. So with that in mind, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna rattle off a list of cocktails if you're not so huge on the champagne that involve that that particular beverage, and I'm gonna teach you how to open a champagne bottle because I feel like a lot of people. They get champagne or sparkling wine, and then there's this fear of what do I do next? Mm. I can barely open a bottle of wine. Now you give me this contraption with a weird (laughs) cork, a weird neck, a fat, heavy bottom. What do I do? Sounds like my first date. Um, Woo! (laughs) Zing! Zing My favorite part of champagne is actually opening the bottle. I find this the most exciting. And then when it comes time to pour it, I just skip my glass. Those bubbles, I don't know why. I thank God for Prosecco, personally. Prosecco made everything better. But just having... It's one of you know what it's it's like southern comfort at age 16 and champagne at maybe age 20. Those two things went bad and they occupy a space in the back of my head of just danger and uh, oh. and disgust. 
Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. I'm not a fan of any sparkling wine, really. I did have the Francia Corta that um, Loretto recommended. I really enjoyed that. So if you're going to the liquor store or the wine store today and they have Francia Corta, consider picking it up because it really is tremendous. It's kind of the best of both worlds of champagne and Prosecco, especially if you're not a big fan of them. I think you'll you'll appreciate that. Sure. And uh, Lambrusco, we should mention, yeah. is a red that's uh, got that sparkling, not sparkling, but the um, effervescence, effervescence to it as well. If you just really want red wine, but you need some effervescence for New Year's in your life, uh, Lambrusco is, uh, is, is a nice bet also. Anyway. Oh, I'm glad you said that because I'm going to segue to that a little bit later on. But let okay. me talk about champagne, opening champagne. I believe when, when you're opening a bottle of champagne, it's not meant to look elegant. It should look like you're ready to wrestle a shark. Okay? <laughs> okay. Then I'm doing it right. Great. You, you need to be in control. You need to block out the world. It's just you and the shark, in this case, the champagne bottle. And don't be afraid because you're either going to live or you're going to die. So there's no two ways about this. You're either going to do it right or you're going to do it wrong. At the end of the day, there's no in between with champagne. I love it. Okay. So here are 10 things about how to open a champagne bottle. All right. And they're simple. One, make sure your bottle is chilled. A cold champagne bottle, it should feel cold in your hand. Not cool, not lukewarm, not dusty. Cold. Okay, Okay. yeah. Have glasses nearby. You want to be able to, if the champagne, because it's pressurized and it could spill, come spilling out of the, out of the bottle, uh, much like me on my first date, you want to have a vessel nearby to catch the spillage, all right? Next, all right. you're going to remove the foil. You don't have to be dainty about this. Once again, you're not opening a bottle of wine. You're wrestling a shark. Just rip off that foil. It doesn't have to look elegant. You're going to tear off. You're not going to do a, you know, a perfect line. Just rip off that stuff. You want to get to the cage. The cage is that twisted metal thing on the top, right? Mm-hmm. It takes about, so this is the third, third thing you need to know. It takes about six half turns to remove the cage, all right? So remember, you know, you're going to be you're going to be twisting it for a little bit. Don't be nervous. Just twist it. When you're holding a champagne bottle, what you want to do is put your four fingers around the neck closest to the top of the bottle and your thumb on the top. So your thumb basically holds the cork from the top and your four other fingers are wrapped around the top of the neck holding the bottle think about your thumb as the as the savior it'll stop that cork from popping into grandma's eye on a on a special occasion right you're 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 kind of keeping that thing a little bit um in check yeah yeah it's it's your thumb the reason we have thumbs is to hold the top of the cork of a champagne bottle. Don't let scientists tell you anything else. It doesn't separate us from the animals. It just serves that one purpose. And this is when your thumb is going to is gonna do the work. It does it one day a year, and this is where it's going to happen, all right? Now, one thing people fail to do is, like, look around. Look around and make sure you're not pointing your bottle at people or the chandelier. A lot of people are opening it in the dining room in front of their crystal chandelier, and they're, mm. they don't think. What's above me? Am I pointing the cork there? If it slips out of my thumb, is it going to break grandma's expensive chandelier? 
Good, so, good tip. Hot tip. Yeah, okay. yeah, hot tip, man. Now, here's another thing that a lot of people fail to do. You want to keep your champagne bottle at a 45-degree angle. Some people plop it on the table and they twist it like they're like they're drilling for oil or something. You don't want to do that. Keep your champagne off the table at a 45-degree angle. And the reason for that is, one, you'll have better control because you're, you're, it's you and the champagne bottle. It shouldn't be you, a table, the champagne bottle, a napkin around your head, you know, people talking to you. Just focus on the task at hand. <laughs> Yeah. It also keeps the bubbles in check. If you have it at a 45 degree angle, um, once it's popped, your bubbles are going to be at their most brilliant, at their most robustness. They're going to have the most bubble effect. Now, right. tip eight is probably the most important, and this is where a lot of people fail. You twist the bottle, not the cork. You hold the cork, like I, like I described, thumb on top, um, at this point, your your other fingers are kind of around the cork. So let's say your index finger and your middle finger are around the cork. And you're holding on to that cork with all dear life. And your other hand, which is holding the bottom of the champagne bottle, does the work. It twists it. And you can go slow. You know, block out the world. It's you and the champagne bottle. Just start twisting. It, the first few twists may be difficult. Just remember, hold your cork. Twist your bottle. Twist, twist. It, it's not a race. Enjoy this moment. <laughs> I love it. As it starts to twist, you're going to feel the champagne cork slowly start to rise. Depending on how much pressure is in the, in the bottle, it might rise quite quick. Your goal here is not a pop sound. It's a hiss or a whoosh sound. So as you slowly twist the base of your bottle, your cork should be slowly coming out. As it comes to almost the top, you can sort of feel it. You kind of just ease it out so it makes that whoosh sound. Now, even doing this, as careful as this can be, like a fight with a shark, there's good. there might be some messiness, right? So if you do all these things and the, the cork still pops or as it whooshes, champagne starts to spill out, you want to be pouring it in that glass that you should have nearby, as I said, in st step one. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, when you're pouring, once the cork is out and you're pouring it, you don't pour in one glass for the whole time. You pour a bit in this glass, a bit in your glass, mm -hmm. a bit in your friend's glass, a bit in your mother-in-law's glass, and you go back and forth because your initial pours are going to have a lot of foam and it's hard to continue to pour on foam unless you go really slow. Now, I know some people might say that's not very elegant, but like I said before, champagne is not about elegance. The elegance is in the drinking, not in the opening and the pouring. And having opened and poured plenty of champagne, I know that that's where you take control as the person who's in command of the bottle and the pour. And you just pour in one glass, go to the next, and you can always go to refill. It also lets you gauge how much of the champagne you have distributed amongst how many glasses so if you've only got one bottle let's say a magnum but you've got 15 guests start by pouring a bit and just keep going back until the bottle's empty because the last thing you want to do is pour one guest a full glass and everyone else gets a third of the glass distribute that shit out evenly and th those are my tips on how to open champagne
Great tips. I want to highlight a couple of things there. Sure. Number one, please don't have 15 people under one roof uh, during a pandemic. That's that's just my uh, PSA. Uh, Number two, let's say you have two to four people all getting a bottle of champagne. Maybe we should talk about uh, how to cure the champagne hangover. And number three, and I think this is the most important thing. I think for you, opening champagne bottles is just second nature. But I think what I'd love to highlight is you said the cage especially, you twisted about six times. I think that's important because I think people already start panicking. They turn it twice or three times. Damn, thing's not coming off. They turn it again. It's not coming off. To have that number six in your head already, it's great. You already know. Don't try it at three. Don't try it at four. You're twisting it six times at least, and then it'll it'll have opened up enough that you're popping it off. That gives you some confidence already going into the next step. The same thing with the twisting of um, of of the cork itself. It's good to have a number. And for somebody like me who maybe opens bottles like that occasionally, uh, once, twice a year, I think it's great to know those numbers. And I think that should be, uh, that should be highlighted. I think for you that that's just no big deal, yeah. but I really think that people start to panic early on in the process, even when they're taking off the, um, <clears throat> and, and I like that you said it's an inelegant way. Just rip off that foil any way you can. Nobody's, nobody's, that's, that's not going to be the memory of anybody's evening. Yeah. Listen, champagne is pressurized wine in in the sense that there's it's it has pressure that's what causes the bubbles so you know for it to be for it to be elegant you know there's always this danger of it popping and pouring and spilling and all that kind of stuff you take control handle that bottle like you're wrestling a shark. It's you and the bottle. Block out the world. Don't <laughs> let people distract you with conversation. You just say, just give me a moment here. The cage is your friend. Some people say, keep the cage on as you're twisting. I don't do that. I think once the cage is off, that's the time to start, you know, getting into it. The cage is cumbersome to me. Now, I will say this. When the cage is off, all bets are off. Stay with that champagne. What you don't want to do is remove the cage, put it on the table, go deal with this, answer the door, whatever, because that's when that pop, that bottle is going to pop that cork and make a mess. Once the cage is off, all bets are off. Some people say use a towel or a napkin or a tea towel when you're opening champagne. I don't like to do that. You know, it, it can get cumbersome. For the novice opener, just... Just have you in the champagne bottle. I think sometimes adding those other elements makes it makes it more difficult. But if you feel if you want to have something to mop it up, then grab that tea towel and just put it over your shoulder. Unless you say unless you think the tea towel helps me if I cover the champagne cork as I open it because it's too I've got I've got arthritis and otherwise it's too painful. Great. Go for it. But I just say throw that tea towel over your shoulder. If you have a spill, then 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 you've got it handy now. The reason you don't pop champagne bottles. So a lot of people are like, oh, but I like the sound of the pop. I like that it pops and everybody's aware of it and the cork goes flying. Great. But when you pop a champagne bottle, nine out of 10 times, what happens is the champagne will, will just start jetting out like you're at the at the Grand Prix, right? Huh. You lose precious champagne when that happens. Waste. Hate it to does, waste. Hate yeah, to see it. It, it. It's like, listen. Why waste it when it can go into your gut um, is how I feel. And plus, who wants to clean up champagne? It's always sticky. It's always gross. It always gets everywhere. More so than spilling wine, champagne will get everywhere. And you don't need that. I love it. 
I love it. The frugal, inelegant man's guide to opening exactly. champagne. That's yeah. what you just illustrated. I love it. It's great, man. Yeah, because I think one of the biggest problems, Ali, is people think when you're opening champagne, because it's so associated with wealth and elegance and <clears throat> ritziness, that mm. you have to be elegant and show proper, like a proper demure way. No, in fact, it's a champagne bottle where you've got to be aggressive. You've got to take control. You've got to block out the world. And it doesn't have to look elegant. It just has to look like you're in control. Perfect. It's also associated with vomit for some of us, but that's yeah. another story okay. altogether. Now, for you that and me who aren't huge fans of champagne, but because it's so associated with tonight, I figured I'd give you some alternatives that involve champagne or sparkling wine. Mm -hmm. So if you like amaretto, I would say make an amaretto fizz. And basically, you're going to take an ounce and a half to two ounces of amaretto, some orange juice. I would say more orange juice than amaretto. So if you're going to use, let's say, an ounce and a half of amaretto, go for two ounces of orange juice. Put that in a glass. Chilled sparkling wine or um, champagne on top. A little zest of orange. And there you go. Now you've sort of tampered the taste of champagne with the nutty flavor of amaretto and sweet flavor of orange juice. Listen. Lovely. A lot of people have clementines. So many clementines this time of the year, they don't know what to do. Why don't you take a few of those clementines, squeeze them, add a few ounces of vodka, let's say four ounces of vodka, four ounces of Cointreau. You're going you're gonna to share this with two, three people. And then you put that in glasses, top it up with your Prosecco. Great way to use your clementines. The vodka adds a little extra kick to it. Right. And if you're like me and you don't like champagne... It's it's the bubbles that you're going to get from the champagne, like sparkling water. So basically, I've replaced sparkling water with champagne in this case for this celebration. I love it. I feel uh, like partying. Yeah. Listen, if you like the Paloma, which is a drink we, we, drink, we covered a while ago, you can do the same sort of thing. You can rim your, your champagne glass with a bit of sugar or salts, but I wouldn't in this case. That's what the Paloma, I think, has is salt. But rim it with some sugar. Add some pink grapefruit juice uh, to the glass. A little bit of vodka, say uh, an ounce or two of vodka. Top it up with some Prosecco or some champagne. Serve it to your friends. You got a pink, a lovely-looking cocktail now that has a bit of champagne, but your vodka and your um, grapefruit juice is going to really tamper it. There's another uh, there's another drink that I associate with New Year's <clears throat> that uh, it's not super complicated to make, but I'm just going to suggest it now because we're yeah. talking about it. You take um, a small glass, maybe maybe like a shot glass, you could say, yeah. and you take some uh, tequila and you pour that in the shot glass, and then you drink that shot glass right away in one shot. Um, that's something people can do as well. Should should the glass be chilled, Ali? <laughs> no, no, we don't need to even. It's called a shot of tequila. Listen, okay. uh, it gets you going. It gets you. But I do want to talk about one thing yeah. um, that you just reminded me of, which is mimosas. Mimosas yes. are classically orange juice and yep. champagne. Is there a, a, a better or worse way, or is it ill advised to repack to to to? you know, put away your champagne. Now we are dealing with, you know, less people getting together overall. So you may pop that champagne. Yeah. 
Uh, but you might find yourselves in a situation <laughs> to avoid a situation that myself and my friend Zach Moose had in our early 20s, where we plowed through not only the champagne bottle we had bought, but the one Zach stole from behind the bar. Um, that's too much champagne for two men. Uh, so you might want to avoid a situation like that. Um, now you've got a lot of leftover champagne. Do you just, is it saran wrap over the top and a rubber band and that's fine and that's what you use for mimosas or is it once it's open, plow through it? Listen, first of all, I got to say your, your buddy Zach sounds like an awesome guy. He was great. Second, secondly, was great. there are champagne um, stoppers you can buy. And, you know, I only realized this after Christmas, but they make great stocking stuffers. Oh, yeah. And if you don't know what to buy someone for Christmas or you're going to a person's party, um, not now because of the pandemic, but let's say you're you're going to a person's party and you want to bring a host gift, a champagne stopper is a great idea. So keep that in mind for the future. But now you've opened champagne, but you're not going to drink it all. What do you do, Right. Yeah, champagne's going to go flat. So whatever you can do to avoid that from happening is going to help. Now, of course, a champagne cork is not going to go back into a glass unless you're Lou Ferrigno and you're able to jam that thing back in. A couple of things you can do. If you have a wine cork nearby, you might want to try that. That should fit in your champagne glass. If you don't have that, I love the saran wrap and um, rubber band idea. But realize... You got to drink that champagne in the next day. Otherwise, it's going to go flat. Right. But does the world stop if it goes flat? No. It is wine. It stays wine. It just doesn't have the sparkle to it. So what can you do? Use it for cooking. Exactly. Deglazing. A great deglazing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nothing sure. wrong with that. So that brings me to my last thing, Ali. Let's say you don't have champagne in the house and you're like, what am I going to do? I forgot to buy the champagne. But you have some wine or let's say it's just you at home and you're like, I'm not going to open a bottle of champagne because I won't get through it. But I got a little bit of wine left over. Here's my tip on what you can do by making red wine champagne in the home. Get your bottle of leftover red or white wine. Put it in the fridge and make it nice and cold. Then what you're going to do is any sort of fruit that you have in the house. Berries are preferred. But let's say you have those mandarins. Chop up a few mandarins so that they're the size of your pinky fingernail and throw a couple of those in the bottom of your glass. Then what you're going to do is you're going to add a little bit of fruit juice, whether that be the mandarin or in this case, I've got some of that palm pomegranate ju juice. Mm -hmm. It's actually pomegranate with cherry. I'm going to pour a half ounce in the bottom of my glass. Then I'm going to get some orange or citrus liqueur. In this case, because it's New Year's Eve, I'm going to use Grand Marnier. But let's assume I have triple sec or I have Cointreau. That's perfectly fine, too. And what you're going to do is you're going to pour, once again, a half ounce of this stuff in the bottom of your glass just for, you know, a little bit of kick. I don't know if you heard that, but I put some Grand Marnier in the glass. Now, I'm going to take my chilled red. And I know people are like, what? Chilled red? Yeah. Celebrate. Have something cool. You know, change the feel of your red wine. You're going to pour some of that red wine into your glass, you know, leaving just a bit more for what's going to change it from red wine into champagne. And what that is, is seltzer, soda water, whatever you want to call it, something with sparkles. It could be Sprite if you don't have anything else and you like your you like your uh, red champagne sweet. Top up your red 
with those bubbles. Now, all of a sudden, you've taken red wine that might have been left over from a couple nights ago drinking, and you've made it into red wine champagne, and that's perfectly fine to celebrate with. I'm surprised you didn't call it the poor man's champagne. I think we're not trying to be judgy this year, huh? Poor, Listen, rich, no. those those things exactly. don't, those don't exactly. exist here. Yeah, good. But essentially, I'm making sangria with a bit of sparkle. Exactly, to it, that's I'm, what I'm I was going to say. Yeah. I'm concentrating on the sparkle versus the fruit. I'm going easy on the fruit and adding the flavors of fruit with my palm juice or, let's say, my mandarins that I've squeezed. I'm not worrying about having fruit in the glass as much as I'm making the wine sparkle right <clears throat> personally as a as a chef who's always had to spin things when something goes wrong in the kitchen i would personally call this a, i'd say this is some sparkling sangria rather than calling it red wine champagne because sure. once you call it it sounds a little yokely you know yeah fair enough y'all i got some champagne here and then you opening up a seltzer it's like no you don't bud so uh you know if you have sort of snootier guests or family members. Uh, I, I think this is, it's a sparkling sangria is a, a great way to spin this. And I, in fact, that is what I thought when you were making it right away. Indeed. I was like, oh, this got a sangria vibe to it. I mean, anyone who knows how to make sangria should have been thinking that Marco's full of shit right now. But it's a great <laughs> alternative for if you don't have champagne, if you don't like champagne, but you want the feel of some, some bubbly wine, you can make that. And like you said earlier, Ali, Try Lambrusco. If you're like, I'm not, I don't dig champagne. I like my wines red. Go for a, an effervescent red like Lambrusco. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Right. And I want to add one more thing. Yeah. People are listening right now on December 31st. Uh, you may want to pause right now, or if it's in your headphones, while you're listening, head to the shop, head to that liquor store, because the lineups were pretty long last year. You got to think about all the people normally who are out at clubs, nightclubs, restaurants. That's not happening in many parts of uh, North America and the world. You don't have those big parties. You don't have, uh, you know, you're not going to someone's house where they took care of the booze. Most people the majority of people partying at home. So uh, there were lineups yesterday and there will be lineups today at your local liquor store. So make sure, you know, don't leave this to the last minute. Uh, get there early and, uh, and take care of these, these, these suggestions that Marco's just made in the last uh, 25 minutes. There's a bunch of them. If they, um, was that pickled your fan, tickled your fancy? There's a yes. saying about fancies. Um, get, get out there sooner rather than later. You know what I miss, Ali? I miss oh. that fear of Y2K after this year. Oh, I thought you were going to say. Uh, I thought. I thought you were going to say my warm embrace. Oh, that too. That's kind of like a Y2K around the shoulder. <laughs> Same okay. <chaos>. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, all right. I pass it over to you, my friend. Um, that was it. Your Y2K thing is over. You started it, and you just. I thought no, you were going to have just a figured, long... You know what? It's kind of like a twenty-year-old reference. Most people listening are like, "What? What? What's that? My life has been garbage, and you're you're bringing a reference back from twenty years ago." Oh, I think you already lost that crowd when you made a Lou Ferrigno reference uh, about 10 minutes ago, buddy. Don't worry about your dated references, okay? There's plenty of those to go around when, when you're talking to Mark. My references are only directed to you so that you can follow Thank along. You, buddy. Lou right. Ferrigno played the Hulk on television many years ago for anybody who didn't know who that was. That's not a guest on our show. Loretto is our guest. Lou Ferrigno was the Hulk. All right. Um, this Look, <clears throat> this is a very New Year's Eve 
type of episode that we're doing. Uh, champagne was the focus uh, of Marco and lobster oh. was going to be uh, my focus. And and I did that because I know that as you and I were texting over the last week, you've consumed some lobster. I've consumed quite a lot of lobster, actually, more than I normally do. I, I basically got a year's worth of lobster in uh, a four-day period. Amazing. Where did you uh, where did you get yours from? What did you do with your lobster, Marco? Well, I got my lobster at my mom's house, and basically oh, what I did with it was I ate it. So she got some lobster tails, and we're talking about North Atlantic lobster yeah. because there is rock lobster, Caribbean lobster, whatever you want to call it, and there's the lobster that we have in this this area of Canada or or in sort of the Maritimes of Canada that is a sweet, tender lobster that you can uh, find its meat from both the claws and the tail. But I had mainly tail, um, and it was it was grilled, and it was fantastic, my friend. That's great. We so I I recently um, <clears throat> a colleague, uh, I mean colleague, a, a woman I know. Her father used to be a lobster fisherman, so he still has these connections in Nova Scotia Maritimes of Canada with a, a number of lobster fishermen. So this woman Joan has just every year said, "Okay, I'm ordering lobster." Uh, she's in early December, late November. She puts out the email. And people say, I'll have three, I'll have four. So depending on how many hours, uh, how, how many orders she gets, she gives us a price. And then it's like, this is the day they're arriving. The shipment will come in before noon and everyone either be at this building or be at my house. This year it was on her, you know, uh, in her driveway. And I was the first guy there. I just happened to be in the neighborhood where she lives. The first guy there, live lobsters, um, three for my neighbor because my neighbor and I had lobster poutine last year, right around this time from the same shipment, from the same lady. And so my neighbor was like, I'll take three. And I said, I'll take three as well, even though it's only myself and my sons who really like lobster. My wife told me this year, I've realized that I can have one bite of lobster a year, and that's good for me. And oh, part wow. of me was like, why are we even together? But at the same time, like, let's celebrate this. You know, you have your one, and I'll eat the rest of the lobster. But we, uh, my sons and I had a great time, especially my youngest, the five-year-old already is a guy who eats everything uh, and, and eats more than he probably should. But we're going to worry about that maybe at a later date. <clears throat> right now, we're celebrating the fact that he's not at all a, a picky eater. But uh, we did something. I'm going to give a little shout out to a, a gentleman named Barney from BBC Good Food because you know, like like champagne, I don't have lobster regularly. I have lobster, but buying lobster, cooking it in my home, taking it apart, I need those reminders. So BBC Good Food has a video. Uh, a gentleman named Barney shows you how to, uh, you know, take apart the lobster. And I was like, oh, great. And you always learn something when you watch these videos. It just reminds me when I used to teach cooking classes, you've never learned everything. You just haven't. And if you have, uh, that's, 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 to your own detriment, if you think you've learned everything, because you won't open your mind to learning new things. This guy showed me something. I mean, I've been eating lobsters. I've been buying lobsters since I was in my 20s. This guy showed me something I've never seen before, which is the uh, the legs of the lobster, yes. you know, the, 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 the dozen legs. I don't remember how many legs there are. 10, 12? Anyway, I'm, I'm not a... I, I don't say, know the anatomy. I want to say four on each side, which would make it eight. You think so? I'll, I'll look that up while you're talking. The problem is we had, uh, it's not a problem. Good. What a great problem to have. We had three lobsters. So there were so many legs. Um, but he said you take a rolling pin 
you start from the bottom of that leg, you roll up, squeezing, and you squeeze out that leg meat. You know how the legs are like you're sucking on those legs like a straw and you're trying to put a little pin in there to get it. Those days are over, my friend. Those days are over. You roll with a rolling pin heavy on that leg and the leg meat just squirts out. And I did something that I took that uh, that lobster uh, roe. Yes. And I took, um, you know, and he said in even the video, that's not for everybody. It is for me. I sauteed in some olive oil, some garlic, some roe, and some chopped up leg meat, which my sons took care of most of that, but some of that chopped up leg meat, and some lemon juice. That's all it was. Okay, and hang I on. I put that on sourdough toast, and it was unbelievably good. When you say row, what are you referring to? I'm referring to uh, what is in the belly. Is it the wrong? Is it the wrong thing that yeah, I'm saying I here? I think it I'm is. Uh, the... um, I think it is. Okay, so first of all, a lobster has ten legs. Just so you know. Okay, I great. Think it has, I think I think it's four four legs and two claws, but I could be wrong. How they're describing it here. Now, so. As you know, my wife is from Boston. Oh, and then yes, she, of course. Then she moved to New Brunswick. So for Both us, homes of lobster, yeah. You know, some people, you know, bread is the thing that you have in your home at all times. Cheese is something that you always have. For us, it's lobster. If there isn't lobster in our home within an arm's reach, there's something wrong. Yeah. So the row would be the um, lobster eggs, which would be... Which which sometimes you can find on fresh lobsters. I don't know if you're supposed to have lobsters that have roe on it, but the the babies, the the eggs would be in the in the um, belly side of the lobster, so like where the tail is. But that's not what you're what you're going for. You're going for what is called uh, tamale. Tamale. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's fine because yes. that's what a lot of people, a lot of people, um, you know, mistake it for. And the tamale. Um, I cannot, I cannot deal with, but I've seen my mother-in-law born and raised in Boston tear through all the tamale that we don't want. Yeah. They go crazy. And that's that soft green substance that's found in the body cavity of the lobster. And yeah. It's like the, the liver, if I'm not mistaken, Ali. Um, it, it is actually, it's okay. exactly that. It's okay. the liver. People think it's like a brain or something. No, it looks no, like no. a brain, but it is exactly that. It is, um, it's, it's the lobster, the sauce of lobster liver. And um, yeah, basically you're getting a lobster paste, almost like a lobster pate. I mean, pate it's not the liver, like the, right? Yeah. It, it's not, it, it, he, he said it, you've said it, it is not for everybody. And um you know, the, the sight of it also might be unappealing to some people, but I took it out and I tried it and I immediately said some lemon juice, which we already had around because sure. we were eating it with, um, you know, clarified butter, garlic clarified butter and lemon juice. That's all we were doing uh, on day one. There were many days of this lobster and I had to freeze some, which I'm going to put in a lobster pasta next week. That's a beautiful story. Um, but yeah, I just said, Oh, there's lemon juice here, and we're having this garlic butter here. Let me saute this. Beautiful. And uh, and put it on some sourdough toast that we had, you know, sourdough bread that we had in the freezer, and I toasted it. And man, I mean, I just thought back to my catering days. I was like, man, if you had uh, crostini, or ideally like sure. a soft, soft, fresh baguette, or just toasted warm baguette, and you put that on at a, at a party, at a dinner party. Let me tell you something. 
um, just mind blowing. Just so, so, so good. One of my favorite things that I've eaten in months. Here's the thing. I do respect people who can have the tamale because, um, you're utilizing the whole animal that's been, that's been harvested. And I do respect when there's no waste. Well, good, good. I'm happy to have your respect. I wasn't sure where that was going, but yes, I'll take it. I was just uh, looking up other things to do with the tamale. So, um, you know, it's, what do people do? You know, a lot of people just kind of eat it. I don't, I don't, I'm not finding a whole lot of stuff. Like I, I feel like, like I look online, I feel like there's an industry here. What to do with this tamale, make, transform it into other things. Can yeah. you make it into a tamale pesto? I don't know. Um, but, um, but what you, what, what you're describing sounds like, um, the best thing to do with, uh, that I've heard to do with tamale. Yeah. I mean, those pieces were already together in front of me, right? I had, I had minced garlic and warmed up this clarified butter ghee that we already had at home and mixed them together. And that's what we were dipping, um, lobster in after we had squeezed lemon all over it. Mm -hmm. So those things were already there. And then I saw the row and I was like, man, I mean, not the row, the tamale. And I was like, these things together could, could be good. And, uh, I wasn't wrong. I wasn't wrong. Thank God. So that was uh, part of my, my lobster consumption. Then we froze some of it cause it was three lobsters and right. my daughter's not interested. My wife has a little bit and she's like, it's good. Anyway, I'm going to uh, have some water now. I mean, she just moved on. I was like, there's no moving on here. We were, we were knee deep in that lobster. And then uh, two days later, Christmas Day, you know, yes. as you know, Marco, I'm a, I'm a, I'm nothing if not an observant Jew on yes. Christmas Day, <laughs> and I carry on the traditions of my my uh, my Jewish ancestors of the last hundred years, hundred and twenty years, and I eat Chinese food okay. on Christmas. I just think it's one of the greatest things. Um, now it, it's a very very interesting history of why that happens. It, you know, it started in. In in uh, I, I believe it was New York or in the New York area, there were uh, many Chinese who came over. They had already been working on the railroads in Western America since the late 1800s. They came to New York. Some of them they opened up restaurants. Jewish immigration was huge in the early 1900s, and the Jews were, <clears throat> you know, in. Irish and uh, and and uh, Italian and other sort of you know white establishments weren't always as welcome, but they were very very much welcome in Chinese restaurants. And the Chinese also uh, don't mix dairy and meat, which many Jews never oh, did. Right? Okay, I see. And I see. so this was a place to go and eat. You think of Italians, there's mixing of the meat and the cheese all yes. the time. Yes, of course. Which is you know. Which is what we love, which is which is the reason you guys were accepted into society. <laughs> Maybe the only reason. <clears throat> but the Jews never did that. The Chinese have never done that. There's hardly any dairy in Chinese food in general. And so it was a good mix and they were accepted there and they were both sort of, you know, these these, these immigrants uh, with, with, with a shared a, a kinship and it just became a thing over the years. So many Jews will eat Chinese food not knowing where that came from. And I only read that recently. I thought it was a very interesting part of history. But I love it. I love doing it. And so we, we ordered from a Chinese restaurant on the 25th. And uh, us, us, and about a million other people were ordering from this Chinese restaurant. But I, they had General Tao lobster, and I was like, you know what? I'm on a thing. I'm on a roll. Let's get some General Tao lobster. So we ate lobster again, and it was God. It was so good. 
What are you going to do? Wow. And I, didn't so think, a lot of lobster and I didn't think this episode would take the turn of the Jewish and Chinese, uh, you know, legacy and history of, of that on New Year's Day. But I'm glad it did. Now, Ali, I would I do have to uh, issue out a uh, bit of a heads up or a warning about lobster tamale that I just yeah. discovered. So yes. you might want to plug your ears on this, but Health Canada reminds uh, Canadians or anyone listening about the consumption advice of tamale from lobsters. They can sometimes, very small numbers of lobsters can contain the uh, paralytic shellfish poisoning, and that would be found in the tamale, not in the meat. So just consume it with caution. They say not to consume more than one one lobster worth of tamale, um, you know, in a day, I would imagine. and it's advised that children not eat the tamale, and I will say that. Uh, that's what Health Canada says. I hate to burst your bubble on New Year's so Eve. Many, so many mistakes made in the last so, week. But so listen, many mistakes. you know what? I Sometimes I think that there's an over-cautioning on things, and if you like it, listen, go with God and enjoy. Listen, what? It, it's like the people who, who, who are like, I'm going to win the lottery this week. Like, How yeah. narcissistic are you that you're going to win the lottery? You think you're the guy. That's the way I look at it. How narcissistic am I to think that I'm the guy who's bringing lobster into my home once a year, that I'm the guy who's going to get paralytic poisoning or whatever you called it. It's, you know, the odds are stacked against me. My son, my five-year-old did have diarrhea last night, but that's way removed from the uh, lobster that we ate uh, a number of days ago. So that's fair enough. Listen, I usually have diarrhea while I'm eating lobster. So, you know, he's in good company. I want to say this lobster eggs, Benedict, eggs, Benedict, is the end of the world. It's one of the most delicious things one can have the day after, tomorrow, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hollandaise sauce and, uh, oh, that's regal. That's some regal stuff, man. Okay. Well, good. I'm just going to say, you know, as I, as I thought about sort of the landscape of the world and, and, you know, these all inclusive resorts, if you've ever been, it's like, it's a little bit painful to see like these lobster mountains and all this lobster kind of getting wasted and stuff. And you're like, Oh God, this is too much. Like, I I think it's a great time to a support lobster fishermen and do your research on that, please. Because there are certain unethical uh, fishermen that shouldn't be uh, supported right now. Uh, support your lobster fishermen and uh, support this industry. I think it's a great time. Um, oh, I never mentioned the preparation. Yes, big please. pot, big pot, salted water, lobster. If you've got the stomach for this, goes in. Okay, we had one that was. Uh, I put it on our Instagram page. It was trying to not go in. It was. It grabbed. It grabbed its tail around the pot as I was putting it in, and it really looked like an alien coming out of a pot, and it looks insane. But anyway, they go in, and you boil them for twenty minutes. And once that twenty minutes is done, very very important, you take them out of that water. Also wash that pot because that's going to smell of lobster pretty sure. strong otherwise. Sure. Uh, but you take them out and you rinse them in cold water. You don't want them to continue cooking. Right. Right. You keep that. If you say, oh, I'll turn it off and I'll just leave it in the pot for now. Very bad idea. You're going to get really like, well, you're going to get lobster pate, lobster mush uh, right. and not not the good kind. It's not going to have a great texture to it. Uh, and that, that was it. It was just that simple. And then, as I mentioned, the BBC Good Food website did a great job of, you know, step by step. I had my sons with me doing this too. Twist this, twist this, take this off, remove this. And some of the stuff children just won't be able to do. You just need, you need scissors. You need a cloth. 
you need some sort of a, a mallet or something to, to, to break up the claws. And then you need that rolling pin. I can't recommend that enough. I thought that was so great. Such a great tip. So that's it. That's my whole thing on lobster. If you can support this year, the industry and get some lobster in you, you know, all power to you and, uh, and bon appetit. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Listen, some people recommend jamming a big knife in the lobster's head before you put it into the water, thus ending its uh, sort of not wanting to go in the water. I say do what you need to do. Look, I think it's important to know where your food comes from and what goes into your food. So I think that's a great lesson for your son, too. It's like, we're going to eat a lobster. This is how it works. It's, it's you know, it's what I love about today's episode is it shows the inelegance to some of the world's most elegant. Yeah, food. absolutely right. It's absolutely like, right. Listen, when you're eating lobster, it's not about being elegant because you're going to have lots chunks of lobster everywhere. It's yeah. like you dive in, you oh, crack, yeah. you bust open, you use a rolling pin, you squeeze, you suck, you make noises. And that's the beauty of lobster. Oh, absolutely. Man. Absolutely. I'm have lobster today. I'm going to make myself. I have I have some canned lobster upstairs oh, from yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, an indigenous indigenous uh, lobster fishery, fish, fisherman that we purchased. And I can't wait to have it with my eggs, Benny. Now, oh, that's great. Speaking of things that I can't wait, our next segment. What's in Marco's mouth? That's right. What's in Marco's mouth? It's nothing dirty. Really guessing, really messing. Let's find out. What's in Marco's mouth? Okay, final what's in Marco's mouth of 2020. And because it's the final my thoughts would be it should be the most punishing. Oh, uh, that may or may not be the case, Marco. That may or may not. I'm not. I'm not going to reveal anything. But this is the end of 2020. Let's see how uh, your wife Amanda decides to um, to treat you on this final day of a hellish year. Okay. Uh, let's go for it. Marco's blindfold right. is on. Blindfold. Amanda is situated behind him. She's going to do the old reach around. Go ahead, Amanda. Go ahead, Amanda, is what I'm being told. Are you putting it in my mouth? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no warning. No oh. warning. It's on a spoon. It's on a spoon. He never likes the cold spoon in his mouth. But, but, no crying. He's not crying. Okay. Marco, you know thoughts? what this is. I know what this is. I'm happy I know what this is, but fuck, it's not what I want right now. But <laughs> I mean, you can't have it all. You can't have it all. Come you on. You know what? The smell hit me off the top before it went in my mouth, and the yes. clank of the spoon in my mouth. It's roasted chestnuts. It's roasted chestnuts. I it love chestnuts. I love like this is a flavor of my youth. This is a flavor of my of my life. I will always get it. I just wasn't expecting. It is right. I can take off the blindfold. It is. You've never been so confident. This okay. has never happened like this. Good for you, buddy. Sorry, I didn't catch that, Ali. I said you've never been that confident. Just absolutely wonderful. Yeah. I mean, like if you give me ingredients that I know, like that are like, you know, that aren't plants or dirt or whatever else, else it was, <laughs> I'll know what it is. But yeah. To be fair, we've never eaten roasted chestnuts in this house. No, we haven't. Never once. My oh, grandmother, wow. you... my grandmother used to have that, and I'm sure there's a lot of Europeans, Italians in particular, who will know this thing. It's like a pan specifically for chestnuts. It's oh. a pan that has holes in it. And she would put it in her wood-burning fireplace around Christmas. You score the you score the uh, chestnut, you put it in the uh, pot, and you put it in the fire, and you just shake it about until they're roasted. So I had that – you know how they, how I probably had it at an age where kids should not be eating chestnuts? But <laughs> I had it 
since since a kid and that's one of those distinct flavors that immediately takes me back to my grandmother's house when i was a kid her wood burning uh stove and her chestnut pan which i wish i knew what happened to it because you don't see those around very much we don't have space in this house for a chestnut pan just for the yeah just if you to get me a gift a chestnut pan is always a good gift take a look at joey chestnut over here uh, buddy uh, i don't know that's that's a, probably a great find, but yeah, I know your home, I know your kitchen. You do not have room I for do that. Have um, we talked about lobsters today. Oh, did you? Yeah. Do you want me to talk about my first chestnut? N- no, it's okay. not about you. But we talked about. I thought I told you about talking, talking about lobsters and tamale and eating tamale. Oh, gross, my mother. Yeah. I know we talked about your mother, but oh, gross, my mother. Oh, really? He's oh, that's hilarious. Valerie Barker. There you go. All right, I don't know. I don't know if Valerie and I will connect on just the r- sort of raw, not raw, freshly cooked tamale, um, but the way I made it and on sourdough bread, it was oh, quite palatable. It was Listen, something nice. When, once you start adding clarified butter, and what else did you add to it? Was it uh, lemon juice and garlic? I mean, garlic, lemon juice, butter on its own will make anything better. Yeah, I think so. Listen, I think so. I, you know, I feel like. That fizzled, but I got the last one right off the bat from the and moment it touched my mouth. I think that's what I like, was hoping for, yeah, buddy. Yeah. That's what I was hoping for because it's been a shitty enough year. Yeah. Why end it on a shittier note? She gave you something from your youth, yes. something you knew instantly, yeah. gave you a little ego boost, made you falsely believe that the next year is going to be good for you. You know, it's yeah. not for a little while potentially, but but we're gonna we're gonna come into well, here's what they're saying. It's going to be a bit of a dark winter, so right. we got to buckle in. And I think, um, I think the stuff that we do on our show, which is provide, uh, you know, a little bit of information, a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of education, uh, and, and we talk about you know stuff that comforts you in the food and drink arena. I think the show uh, is going to be even more important, both for us and for our listeners. And and I don't mean to sound arrogant when I say that. I just think that. Um, it's the time to sort of rally around and dig in and really uh, comfort each other for the next few months. And, and in, particularly in places that do experience winter, it might be a little bit bleaker than what we have yeah. become accustomed to already, which was fairly bleak for many people and many families. But the spring and the summer are going to be, are going to be great. Yep. We're really looking forward to that uh, for, for not just medical reasons, but just in general as we come out of winter and are able to be outside sunshine and, and, and fresh air and warmth and vitamin D and all that, it's yep. going to be uh, very, very beneficial. I think it's safe to say you sound arrogant no matter what you're saying. Fine. But having said that, yes, I, I agree. Listen, if you need some pep in your step, if you need to, a distraction from what's going on in the world, listen to our podcast, tell your friends about it, give us suggestions, contact us on social media. If you're like, I'm feeling kind of down what should I do? Let us know. We'll tell you what beverage, what food to eat. We'll tell you what not to eat. We'll, we'll just tell you whatever the hell's on our mind. But yeah, connect right. with us. We're happy to have our listeners. Thank you for listening. And and also, uh, you know, thank you for, for emailing us. Thank you for messaging us. We love to hear from you. If you have uh, champagne ideas, champagne stories, lobster mm-hmm. ideas, lobster recipes, happy to hear them. Also, yeah. as I go opposite of arrogant, Happy to hear uh, ourselves getting uh, feedback and critique, which has happened a few times this year also. We've dropped the ball, mostly Marco. Yeah. I don't think I was ever guilty of that. But, um, you know, for example, you know, I called the tamale brains. I was just being a little bit too casual about it. 
it's important in those moments you call us out because we want to give accurate information as well as uh, you know our, our blowhard opinions. Listen, listen, we know a lot. We don't know everything. We're not we're not those people. We're not those chefs who walk around very arrogant. You do it this way. Do it that way. We're very casual with our approach. At least I am. And uh, I'm yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's very important that we we I think we you and I have this show because we like to learn from others yeah. as well. And we know there's a lot to learn. And, and that's how you get through life, you know, learning from others and, and collecting all this little wisdom and nuggets along the way. Uh, Twenty twenty has not been kind to all of us. I hope it has been somewhat kind to you. I hope you have some good lessons that you've learned. But uh, like so many of you, if not the vast majority of you, Marco and I are also very much looking forward to an end of this year and uh, and new opportunities and and uh, new life to be injected into our 2021. So from my from my end, from my family, from uh, from from everybody in my circle, a very happy new year. To, to, to all our listeners. That's right. All the best for you guys. In 2021, we will see you there with a glass in one hand and a fork in another. <laughs> Until we eat and drink again. We hope you got your fill of Eat and Drink with Ali Hassan and Marco Timpano. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Podcast Eat Drink. Email them your cocktail and food suggestions to podcasteatdrink at gmail.com. Until the next episode, bottoms up.